Well, good morning. Nice to see all of you. Uh, by way of introduction and to draw our hearts to the scriptures, the word of the living God, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll set a context for us, as you know, as a part of our uh, series, our Life on Life series, uh, here this, uh, this school year, really uh, imparting not only the scriptures, but our own very lives. Uh, we have had the rich opportunity to hear uh, from uh, so many different uh, men who have come and to open up God's word, but to do that through the lens uh, of, their, of their own experience, how the word of God has shaped them. And what a fitting opening scripture as we look again on that theme today out of 2 Timothy 3.16, reading the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And that really is the context here today as we come again to the Word of God and as we look at it uh, from a real practical standpoint that out of um, 2 Timothy 3, it says that all Scripture is it's breathed out by God and it's relevant, it's applicable. And I certainly stand here as testimony of that, that my time here at the college uh, has been shaped by uh, that very truth, that the Word of God is not a, it's not a distant book, but rather it's living and active, and it is breathed out by God himself, and it moves in, and it, and it teaches, it corrects, it, it trains my very heart into everyday living that is bringing honor and glory to him, living in righteousness by the way he's designed us to live, and for my joy, um, for many of you who might not know, and we had talked about last time that uh, my, my experience here um, is one that's been shaped by that passage and really by this community here, that I'm incredibly grateful to the Lord to, for my time here at the college. I came here in 1993 and have essentially been here ever since, and and in the process of that, that the Lord has, has used uh, his word within this context to really shape my life. And I'm internally uh, indebted and grateful for all um, the factors that have come to shape uh, my life as it is today because of my time here. And, and so last time that we had met, I wanted to share with you and kind of list it out uh, due to this theme, had the unique opportunity to write down some thoughts, some biblical principles, some, uh, some phrases, uh, benchmarks that have really marked my time here at the college. And these principles have been embedded into my heart that now I, I live out in, into the context of my family and my local church. But it was, it's really here that these principles have been uh, in, ingrained into my very heart and and it was my goal this last time and want to pick it up here is to, is to share these with you. And it's my hope that the things that, that the Lord has allowed me to learn 
that I could impart to you that it would be uh, your uh, opportunity, now that you're a student at the Master's College, uh, to live out these biblical principles, uh, to set a trajectory for you, not only during your college years, but for the rest of your life. And that really is uh, my hope, is that in looking in the Word of God and living here in this community as it has benefited me over these years, that the Word of God would would prove again and again to be profitable and relevant, and that would last into your everyday life to God's glory and to your joy. And so I want to pick that up a little bit. Uh, last time, uh, so as I wrote them down, I had 10 of them. I know that was kind of a lot, I admit. Uh, but we got through some of them the first time, and now it's uh, uh, my privilege to kind of uh, pick up the second half of our time together. So by way of review, uh, if you can find your notes back then, you can pick it up, or maybe I'll just pick up some of these principles and we'll move through them together. The first one that we reviewed, again, this being uh, not a traditional exegetical uh, sermon out of one passage, but rather taking uh, the word of God exegetically and then applying it uh, theologically and practically into everyday life. The first uh, principle that we reviewed last time by uh, lessons, life lessons that I have learned here that I want and would hope that you would experience during your time here is, that, is this, that God and his word can be trusted, that God and his word can be trusted, that, that over as, as time continues to go by, that, that moment where you really ask yourself the question, can I really leverage my very life, knowing that God will keep his promises. And that choice that every person comes to, I just wanted to remind us again from God's word last time that God can be trusted and his word is true and that you can leverage every single aspect of your life on it. The second principle that we talked about last time as we move into our time together today is that is this, it's holiness is better than sin. Holiness is better than sin. And as we looked at last time, the, the sinfulness of sin is not that it's pleasurable, but that it promises to satisfy. The sinfulness of sin is not that it's pleasurable, but that it promises to satisfy. That somehow that, that the fleeting half-truths of sin might eclipse and be better than the promises of God. That we looked into God's word and just reminded ourselves again that, that the pursuit of mortification of sin is actually a delight in the holiness of God. That our appetites cannot be satisfied by, seer, by sincerely mortifying or simply mortifying or stopping sinful pleasures. But rather, it is the great joy for me to share with you from my own heart and from the word of God itself to say that holiness is better. Holiness is better. And that to move away from sin and to pursue righteousness and holiness before God satisfies the soul in a way that is truly how God designed it to be. The Word of God says that as we pursue holiness, that we get to escape the sinfulness of this world and to taste of the divine nature. So the next 
principle that we reviewed, ones that the Lord was so kind to entrust to me here in my time here that now I get the opportunity to share with you is, is this, that we are dependent and not independent beings, that we are dependent and not independent beings, which means this, is that, is that the posture of a Christian is one that is in needing of God's help. It's one that of needing of God's help. That as we look again and we're really honest with our own humanity and as we look upon God's word that we recognize that we are not strong, that we are not independent, that we are not self-sustaining, but rather the opposite is very true. That God has created us. And as created beings, we are dependent. And asking God for help is the most human thing you can do. Because as a created being, you are designed to be an image bearer, be a God proclaimer. And the moment that we, in submission to our God, in a dependent state, recognize that we are not self-sustaining, but rather dependent beings, that it satisfies our soul to worship him in every area of our life. And so we fight against that. We, 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 we try to uh, live lives as if we were independent beings, but rather to recognize and the true joy of living a dependent life and asking God for help. Lord, help me and to live life that way. These are principles that as I walk in life and in those moments that I've seen the Lord work his, his, his majestic and powerful work in my life and the lives of my friends, it has been in response to a cry for help. God hears you and he sees you. And to recognize him and to submit to him is to recognize that we are dependent and not independent beings. And the last one that we covered, and you can see why it took a whole message to go through these things, right? There's a lot in there. Here's the last, the last one that we covered was that life is a vapor. Life is a vapor. The Bible clearly teaches that we are here one moment and then gone the next, that our life is a vapor. And wanted to remind us again as here as college students that your next day is not guaranteed and that is, you know, that life can end in a moment that when God calls an individual home, that they will not live on this planet for one more moment. And for many of you, you know that personally. You've had friends and family members, mothers and fathers and grandparents, that in a moment's notice would then be ushered into the presence of the Lord. And might that sober our hearts to be ones who live each and every day as unto the Lord that we can taste of and we can live today, not waiting till tomorrow to, to pursue Christ, but today is the day for righteousness and to grasp those things and to pursue those things, knowing that, that in this moment what we invest today is but a vapor. But the things that we do today uh, that are in line with God's commandments and his design will then echo into eternity. So what are you going to put your time into? What are you going to invest your days in? And so many times we waste our days doing secondary things because we forget the primary thing of following God and understanding that we might not have another day. 
And so these truths, and we walked through last time just by way of review, and want to pick up now uh, this, this fifth point here, these, uh, these truths that I, would, uh, that I would want each student here to grasp of, to know, uh, because I've seen them to be true and revealed in my own life and in this community here. The next one that I want to highlight is this one, is the issue, the issues of life, come from the inside out. The issues of life come from the inside out. There is this moment that happens in everybody's life when they begin to take responsibility for their actions. It's a moment in maturity. It's a moment in your own development where where there's this fundamental shift that says that I move away from blaming other people and to recognize that the issues in my life, the problems in my life, are more in here than it is out there. The problems in my life, the the issues in my life, are really determined from what is inside of me instead of what is outside of me. Now again, we're not gonna say that circumstances, circumstances don't have an influence, that circumstances don't shape a context Uh, For life, certainly not. We're not saying that. But what the Bible says very clearly is that an external circumstance can't dictate your actions. An external circumstance can't dictate your actions. Actually, just the opposite is true. That it says that, that God brings external circumstances to actually shape the heart. The Lord would use circumstances to develop your inner man. Because the Bible states that it is out of the heart that flows all the issues of life. Have you ever thought about what makes you, you? So many times, I think, especially in your early high school years, you define who you are by what you do. But what happens when those circumstances change? It's the, it's the senior high school quarterback who's, who's lived his whole life being a, 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 a superior athlete. And, and then on homecoming, his senior year, he blows out his, his knee and it's irreparable. And he now can't play another day of football in his life. What is it that makes him who he is? What is it that defines the choices that he makes? What is it that, that sets a trajectory for his life? And as we think about our own very lives, what is it that makes you you? What is it that defines the choices that you make? What I want to bring before us is to say that the issues of life, the real challenges of life, the real, the real epicenter of the choices that you make are not defined by what happens outside of you, but what happens inside of you. Because what happens inside of your heart shapes the choices that you make and can actually reinterpret or move through challenging issues in your life to find them to be honoring to the Lord. You know, when we think about this real change happening at the level of the heart, it helps us to empathize with others, doesn't it? Is to realize that as dependent beings and as we think about our own hearts and understand them, that it makes us empathetic to others. The challenges of life that come upon us, that that we recognize that in our own hearts is what determines and shapes life, that it helps us to move, not to solve somebody's problems, but to walk through and with them as a person, realizing that solving all of their circumstances isn't actually the goal, but rather it's shaping their heart into Christ's likeness, 
that allows them to not only to grow, but to deal with their circumstances in a way that honors the Lord. Some passages that relate to that, obviously Proverbs 4.23 speaks of that. It says this, reading the word of God, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flows all the springs of life. Matthew 15, 19 through 20, and Luke 6, 43, 35 says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and, and out of someone's life, the fruit of their life comes from the good tree. So what the Bible is saying here is the choices that you make, not the circumstances you're in, comes out of your own heart. So to take responsibility for that. To stop moving and saying that the problems of my life are external, they're of my circumstances, but rather a mark of maturity and a mark of transition in your life is when you recognize that the major problems in this world are actually inside your own heart. And to seek to transform that heart into the likeness of Christ not only renews who you are, but then gives you the ability to deal with whatever circumstances might come. As a matter of fact, James 1 says, you should consider it all joy when trials come into your life. Why? Because it shapes your heart. And as it shapes your heart, it then transforms you into the likeness of Christ, which is the goal of your life. Romans 5 one through five, uh, three through five speaks of, this, of the same concept. It just says that, that, that as trials come, that the Lord uses those difficulties to transform you, to transform you. Isn't that in the end what we all desire? Isn't the goal in our own hearts to, to know and to grow and to be like Jesus Christ and, and to help others to do the same? And, and there is a moment in your life and there is a moment in my life where I finally came to the place to say, I can't blame other people for my life. But rather, I will look inside of my own heart and allow God and his work to do at that level of the desires, of the thoughts and the intentions, realizing that out of my heart, the transformed heart comes all the issues of life. So it's not what you can change about your circumstances, but rather what you learn from your circumstances that allows you to grow into Christ's likeness. Isn't that? Here's the next principle that I want to bring before you, and just by way of meditation and would be an encouragement to you is this, is that true friendship, true friendship is worth fighting for. True friendship is worth fighting for. I know you've heard me talk about it before, but I'll just go ahead and say it again. You belong to a people. You belong to the people of God that you are not designed to live an isolated life. That the Christian life is not one of isolation, but it's one of community. It's one of, it's one of connectedness. The Bible speaks that very clearly, doesn't it? That we are to know and to belong to one another. Romans 12 speaks of that. That we are, we are members of one another. That we belong together. And that means that true friendship has a place in your life. Have you ever considered um, a Proverbs 27, 7? It says this. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But Proverbs 27, 17 says this, iron, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 18, 24 says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
there is a reality that we have a temptation, right? Right out of Hebrews 3.12 that says that, that we have a temptation to be deceived in our own sinfulness. That, that by ourselves, that, that we're prone to wander into sin. But it is the faithfulness of true friends that call us to righteousness. Have you ever thought of about accountability a little bit? About accountability? You know, sometimes accountability, people are not really sure exactly what they mean by that. Um, what we mean by accountability is, is not that I'm accountable to another person, right? Sometimes guys will do that, right? When, when guys get in accountability groups, right? He goes, you know, he'll, he'll actually go, all right, if you do that again, I, I'm going to wring your neck, right? I mean, that's kind of how it goes. You know, if you do that one more time, if you go down that path, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to grab you by the scruff of the neck, and I'm really going really to tell you that you can't do that anymore. That isn't accountability, is it? Have you ever found yourself in accountability where you're actually afraid to talk to the other person? Like, oh, I don't want to talk to the other person. That's, that's off at skis, right? That's, that, that's something that, that isn't what the Bible defines. What the Bible defines as accountability is two believers that are holding each other to live like Jesus Christ. When we hold each other accountable, we're not holding each other accountable as that we are the standard, but rather it's one person, it's one person giving accountability and saying, I'm reminding you that you are accountable to your God. I'm reminding you that we together are to pursue Christ's likeness. I'm reminding you as your friend, I'm going to speak truth to you. As it says in Ephesians 4, I'm going to speak truth to you in love. Why? Because I want both of us to grow up into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Friendship matters. Friendship matters. Especially when it's, when it's centered around and the, the ethos of it, the, the main makeup of your friendship is to grow into Christ's likeness. That's the goal of friendship, isn't it? Isn't that what true friendship is? And those kinds of friends are worth fighting for. There are problems, aren't there, that happen in friendship? Challenges, conflicts, pain, sin, Things that happen in the context of your true friendship that, 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 that moves upon you in a negative way. That someone sins against you or, or, or there's a context that, that can be difficult and challenging and a trial in your life. True friendship seeks to move through conflict. And to do that in a way that Matthew 5 states, to do it as a peacemaker to speak truth and to care for one another. Not to move away, but to move towards. There are, only two, there are only two gears in relationship. You're either moving towards people or you're moving away from them. There's no neutral. And when, when conflict enters into your friendships, that the word of God calls us and says that true friendship matters and that we should move towards one another as peacemakers. We should speak truth to one another in love. Why? Because we want each other to grow into Christ's likeness. And in those moments when we're tempted, right, to move away from our friendships, when we're tempted in our own uh, either embarrassment or our own pride to move away let us, let us move to passages like Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 that says, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Or Proverbs 17, 17 that says that a friend loves at all times, at all times, even when it's hard to love our friends. 
The people of God and your friendships are valuable. They're important. Not because it's good to have friends, but that your friends help you to grow into Christ's likeness that is designed by God himself. Friendships are not an afterthought in the plan of God, but yet he uses the people of God, true friendships, to help us to grow into Christ's likeness. And when times are hard, and when it's, and when it's easy maybe to take an off-road or to find other sort of worldly philosophies on how to deal with friends, I can just make another friend, I can move on, this friend is disposable, let us look back to the word of God and fight for true friendship that calls us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Because in the end, those trials those difficulties will strengthen your friendship in a way that you'll be able to speak to one another the word of God, to minister the word of God to one another, and that you will grow up into Christ's likeness. Give it a chance. It's worth fighting for. Some of you even now in this room might have somebody in mind that you need to reach out to. Seek forgiveness. Have you ever thought about that? That speaking truth to your friends. Sometimes we always think about that as being confrontational, like speaking truth uh, about an issue of sin. It also is asking for forgiveness and confession. Speaking the truth in love includes all of that kind of communication. It's saying, I need to confess to you that I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? All of those things are speaking truth. This is what really happened in our friendship. This is really where sin entered the camp. And praise to the Lord Jesus Christ that the word of God addresses all of those things. Because of the gospel, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to run away. We don't need to hide. We don't need to pretend to be anybody else because we are in Christ alone. And might that then give us a freedom to say, I'll let you know me. I'll let you really know me. And I'm not going to run away, but I'm going to move towards you. For some of you who tasted that level of friendship, do you remember do you remember the first time when somebody actually knew you and didn't move away from you, but moved towards you in Christ's love? It's powerful. You can taste of that. You can taste of that here. And might that be the trajectory of our lives as we go into the church so that the world might know that we are his disciples because we love one another. Remarkable, isn't it? The gospel itself allows me to move towards hard friendships. And in my hard friendships, as we grow into Christ's likeness, that it actually proclaims the gospel to a lost world. Because we don't naturally love one another, do we? But yet we can. And friendships are worth fighting for. So that friend, right? You can't be friends with everybody. But the friends that you have, those ones that you're moving towards one another, that it's worth fighting for. And it's worth investing in. So encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christ is coming back. Might we do that out of Hebrews 10? Okay, here's the next one. Next one we're talking about, right? That um, the issues of life come from the inside out. The true friendship is worth fighting for. Uh, here's the next one that I want to present to you. A, a biblical principle, a paradigm that, that I've learned here uh, during my years at the college that I just... So, uh, would so long for you to experience and to know during your time here and beyond is this that the process is everything. The process is everything. That, that in the end, it's not the goal that you achieve that is its value, but rather the way that you accomplish those goals. 
is what gives true meaning and value. Heart attitude matters. Thinking matters. Desires matter. All of those things matter. It's not just that, that I'm going to accomplish this goal and I'm going to violate everybody around me. And so then when I, when I get my goal, then therefore I will be successful. Success is faithfulness, not accomplishments. Success is faithfulness, right? That the process is everything, that, that the way that you pursue is defined by godliness and meekness will be more satisfying even if you're unable to achieve your desired goals. That in a lot of ways what I desire for you is to think about how you think. To think about how you think. Not just to do things, but to know why you do them. Not just to accomplish tasks, but to do them in a well-informed and biblical way. That the opportunity that you have is, is to recognize that in the end, what you achieve, what you achieve is secondary to the process by which you achieve them. Colossians 3, 16 through 17 says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what it's saying is this. Let the word of God richly dwell within you, and then what you do will be a reflection of that. Not what you accomplish, but what you do, doing good works, letting the Lord decide what the accomplishments will be. Our president mentions this on multiple occasions, that the focus should be in the depth of our relationship with Christ more so than the breadth of influence. Because if the depth of our relationship with Christ is secure and it's grounded and that the process of walking worthy is, is our main cadence of our life, then, then the influence and the impact of that will be unto God himself. And that's really what we're talking about. The process is everything means that, that right out of Ephesians 4, that we are to walk worthy. We're to walk worthy of the calling by which we've been called. And, and that walking worthy, it's a, I'm, I'm making this motion because it's a, it's a scale. Uh, it's a scale action, like those old-time those old scales where you would put a weight on one side and you would put a weight on the other and then you would seek to balance them. That's the idea there, that how you live matters and that it's equal to what's happening in your own very heart. So as before, what we talked about, that we are to understand and to know what is happening inside our hearts, that at the same time, that commitment to live rightly and the process by which we live is what's most important, isn't it? We have to recognize right out of Ephesians 4, which I mentioned before, reading the word of God, it says this, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Talking about is integrity. Talking about integrity. We're talking about that, that in everyday moments of your life that you can seek to pursue an act of worship. That the process, that, that, that 
accomplishing things, looking like a Christian, acting like a Christian in its task is not really the end goal, but it's rather out of your heart that you're living in a way that pleases your God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you reflected upon that? That sometimes you may be more goal-oriented than you are process-oriented? One of the ideas that I think is important for college students to understand, and one uh, that, a, that a very young Joe Keller needed to learn when he first came here to the college, is that it's not about wanting to do all of these things, but rather who I am, and that in the everyday moments of my life to seek godliness. Here's one practical application out of that, is in your words. Have you thought about your words? Not just a communicating, which is a goal, right? I want to communicate something to you. I want to say something to you. I have a, I have a goal of, of communicating certain things to you. That the process of how I do that matters. The Bible says that, that, it is, um, that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and setting of silver. That, that the timeliness of what we say and how we say it matters. I know sometimes that Words might be something that is just given away, something that is just thrown away towards uh, in, in forgetfulness of the desired end goal. But I want to present to you that the Bible speaks of the end goal as being the process, not the product. The process and not the product. Who cares if you get straight A's if you violate everybody around you? Who cares if you achieve the highest of your vocational calling, but yet your testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ has been violated by how you act. Who cares if you're the most popular kid at school, but nobody really knows you. The process matters. The process matters. And let me just say this, that when people look back upon your life, they're going to care more about how you did something than what you did in the end. And that's important to learn. It's important to think of. So as you relate to your roommates, as you relate to your schoolwork, that every single act that you have can be an act of worship. It's not just worship through song, but it's worship through schoolwork. It's worship through your relationships. It's worship through your work-study job. It's worship in, in caring and doing Bible study and ministry in your local church. All of those things, that process is worship. It's not just the end goal itself. And the great delight is, is that in the end, that when you care more about the process than the product is that when the product comes and it does come, that you can give glory and honor to the Lord. Galatians 5 speaks of not growing weary and doing good, but that you can sow. And as you sow in the spirit, so you will also reap. And it's a fact of the matter is, is that when you, when you serve that way, when you give, when you uh, pursue the process, that in the end the Lord, the Lord will bless and as he does, that you will give honor and glory to him. So what I'm not saying is don't set any goals for yourself. Please don't write home and say, sorry, but I have no goals today, and I'm just going to, that's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is have goals, but don't let the goals be what you worship. Don't let the goals be what satisfies you but rather the process of serving your God as you use your giftedness, your time, and your resources to leverage every single day in honor and glory to him. And what you'll find is that you will be not just efficient, but you'll be effective 
in life and in ministry. Moving along here, the last couple of them I want to bring before you is this, that ministry is service. Ministry is service. Last uh, last note, we talked about that true friendship is worth fighting for and the process is everything. I want to bring this biblical principle to you. It's, it's this. It's that ministry is service. Ministry is service. You know, sometimes when, when you come into the college and, and you think about that life and ministry is all about what you do, uh, that there are, there are paradigms, there are programs, there are all these things that we can accomplish. Uh, I'm going to write all these books. I'm going to make this great big impact in ministry. Um, ministry itself can be a dangerous calling that way, can it? For those of you who, who have opportunity to serve and to minister, that it can be a dangerous calling. There are times in your own heart that you can be tempted uh, to have ministry be more self-serving than Christ-honoring. And in our own hearts, we have, to, we have to fight against that. But ministry in the end, all kinds of ministry, whatever it might be in whatever capacity, whether it be works of service or, or, or ministry in serving the word of God or in other capacities, that in the end, that ministry is one thing, and it is service. That ministry is service. And as you think about it, you have positions in life, whether that be in whatever sort of capacity that you might have, whether it be here at the college, whether it be in the local church, whether it be in your home or vocationally, that any sort of leadership that you have, that the goal in the end is to serve, is is to minister. And ministry in the end is service, and it costs us something, doesn't it? Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says that, um, that Paul says that I, I admonish, I teach, I care, I serve to every man. Why? So that they beca- may become more like Jesus Christ. That in all of our service, the end goal is to help others to grow into likeness. The end goal is for us to serve and to minister so that others might become more like Jesus Christ. So therefore, ministry isn't a strategy. It's not a, it's not a program. It certainly isn't a position. That somehow because you have a position that that means that what you do, that everything is ministry. But rather, it's practical service. It's service. Ministry really is described as service in the New Testament. And it's on, not on our behalf, but on behalf of Christ to others. It's what you say. It's what you do. And in the end, this is the point that I want to make is that ministry in the end is service. Ministry in the end is service. Anyone who holds a position of ministry has in its mindset that we are going to serve others. And as you think about what does it mean to minister to others, don't think in terms of programs or positions, but rather in ministry and service. Because sometimes, right? Sometimes when you're in leadership opportunities and you have ministry opportunities, you ask the question, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And you kind of get hung up a little bit, sometimes more concerned about what ministry should look like instead of actually ministering. And that's a common, that's a common hiccup. What I want to give to you today out of God's word is to say this, that, that ministry and leadership is, in the end, if you're confused as to what you're supposed to do, you always go back to what ministry really is, which is service. How can I practically serve others out of love for Christ and care for my friend? How can I serve in this moment? That, that service isn't defined by position, but rather it's defined by action. Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says this, you were, um, you were once called for freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Listen to the words of our Lord and Savior in Mark 10, 35 through 45. It says this, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave of all. For even if the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Didn't we see that illustrated when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? That the posture of ministry, the posture of caring for others, the posture of leadership is one of service. It's not defined by a program. Well, let me put it this way. That ministry doesn't, isn't created by a program and ministry isn't created by a position. Ministry isn't created by a program and ministry isn't created by a position. But rather, ministry happens when the people of God don't look out for their own interests, but rather serve and care for the interests of others. That's ministry. That's life. And that's our calling. And that's the thing that... that a, young, a younger man here at the Master's College had to learn because I was, I was distracted by all of, the, all of the events, all of the programs, all of the positions here at the college. And I thought, that's really what it meant to be a minister is to be a part of all those things. But rather, in the end, I was confronted by the reality that I could be in any position that I wanted to. If my heart wasn't one of service, it wouldn't be honoring to the Lord. And service cost me something. And to give that up and to serve and to give my life away and to do those things is better and that it's better and that the true joy of life is to be in ministry and to have the ministry of your life to see the love of Christ to be moved into somebody else's heart and life, to be able to serve someone else and to see them taste and to see that God is good and to give that away to, so that someone might be able to taste of that is incredibly and wonderfully joyful. Because in the end, if I have any other goal, the satisfaction and the goodness of ministry is never satisfying. A good program is never good enough. A good conversation, a good sermon, all those things, if it isn't for the goal of serving others, then it's not, in the end, as satisfying. So might I, by one who's a little bit farther along, share with you that truth, uh, that life and service, that ministry is service. Last two, contentment is true joy. Contentment is true joy. That I think this world is, is pursuing and caring about pleasures more so than ever before. And I just want to remind us again that pleasures of this life will never be fully satisfying. But that true contentment is joy. True contentment is joy. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need or for I have learned or for whatever situation I am. I've learned to be content for I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because his heart is content. His heart is content. Unsatisfaction in life can come back to contentment. Not that you are absent of less pleasures to seek. 
That for you and for I, that the way that we truly find joy is to say, this is who I am. This is who God has made me. That, that my life circumstances are not going to dictate and change who I am as a person. So therefore, I can be content and can enjoy what God has given me. And not try to suck the life out of everything else into satisfying my own pleasures. But rather have my pleasures be realigned on that which God has given me, not which what I don't have. You will always be content, discontent if you focus on what you don't have. But there is joy immeasurable, and especially in your identity in Christ, to understand that true joy happens with what God has given you and to enjoy those things to God's glory. In closing, let me share this last principle with you. The last one, which really could be the first, is love God and love people. If there is one thing that I've learned here at the Master's College, more so than any other principle, it's that. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. It's this cadence over and over again in my soul because I want to love other things and I want to selfishly love myself and I want I, there are other things that can distract my heart. But let me remind us again that to love God and to love people as you're making decisions in life, as you're making small moments in your days that love God and love people are the two navigational buoys that set a trajectory for your life that is meaningful and that is Christ honoring and that is full of love and joy and kindness. What one enjoys is to recognize that love doesn't come naturally to us so to express love is to taste of the divine nature to love God because he has so loved us and to give that love away to others. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That to love God and to love people is the trajectory of our lives. That one of the major principles in all of scripture is not to pursue false loves, but rather to pursue the right and true love, which is to know and to understand your God and not to leave it there, but to have it translate to others. So as you can see, uh, I had a long list there. There were 10 of them and a lot of them. And I certainly don't um, expect that all of them are going to resonate with you. But my hope would be is that one of those 10 principles that we've covered over these two sessions would draw you to the scriptures and help you to apply in practical ways when you're in that crossroads between can I trust and obey God's word um, or should I trust and rely upon other things? Might I be one of many who comes to you and to say these are principles from God's word that, that I learned here at the college ones that were invested in me and shared with me, ones that, that I've had to wrestle through and, and fail in and strive for, and ones that I've tasted of that I want to give to you uh, by way of encouragement during your college years and hopefully set a trajectory for the rest of your life. So I pray that you'd have time to meditate on these and reflect upon them and see applications in your everyday life uh, moving forward. So let's uh, stand together and we can close our time in a word of prayer. Lord, we recognize our dependency on you and want to pray even now for these students that as you have called them here uh, during this time of their life, during these formative college years, I pray, O oh Lord, 
that as they look to your word, as they seek to humbly follow you, that you would um, allow them to practically put together biblical principles that would apply to their everyday life. Lord, I pray that during our times together and sitting and looking in your word, just practical uh, life principles that you have sawn so fit and so graciously to allow me to see and to experience here, that it might be an encouragement to my friends and that they might pursue you above all things and taste that see that you are good. So I pray for them, Lord, for their everyday life and their details and that they might walk from here encouraged, having heard your word being taught, that it would move into their souls and not come back null and void. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you would do these things to your glory and our joy. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.